Chapter Five of Men of Iron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Kivako, Arlington Heights, Illinois. Men of Iron by Howard Pyle. Chapter Five. The Earl of Mackworth, as was customary among the great lords in those days, maintained a small army of knights, gentlemen, men-at-arms, and retainers, who were expected to serve him upon all occasions of need, and from whom were supplied his quota of recruits to fill such levies as might be made upon him by the king in time of war. The knights and gentlemen of this little army of horse and foot-soldiers were largely recruited from the company of squires and bachelors, as the young novitiate soldiers of the castle were called. This company of esquires consisted of from eighty to ninety lads, ranging in age from eight to twenty years. Those under fourteen years were termed pages, and served chiefly the countess and her waiting gentlewomen, in whose company they acquired the graces and polish of the times, such as they were. After reaching the age of fourteen, the lads were entitled to the name of Esquire or Squire. In most of the great houses of the time, the Esquires were the especial attendants upon the lord and lady of the house, holding such positions as body squires, cup-bearers, carvers, and sometimes the office of chamberlain. But Devlin, like some other of the princely castles of the greatest nobles, was more like a military post or a fortress than an ordinary household. Only comparatively few of the esquires could be used in personal attendance upon the earl. The others were trained more strictly in arms, and served rather in the capacity of a sort of bodyguard than as ordinary squires. For as the earl rose in power and influence, and as it so became well worth while for the lower nobility and gentry to enter their sons in his family, the body of squires became almost cumbersomely large. Accordingly, that part which comprised the squires proper, as separate from the younger pages, was divided into three classes. First, squires of the body, who were those just past pagehood, and who waited upon the earl in personal service. Second, squires of the household, who, having regular hours assigned for exercise in the manual of arms, were relieved from personal service, excepting upon especial occasions. And thirdly and lastly, at the head of the whole body of lads, a class called bachelors, young men ranging from eighteen to twenty years of age. This class was supposed to exercise a sort of government over the other and younger squires, to keep them in order as much as possible, to marshal them upon occasions of importance, to see that their arms and equipments were kept in good order, to call the roll for chapel in the morning, and to see that those not upon duty in the house were present at the daily exercise at arms. Orders to the squires were generally transmitted through the bachelors, and the head of that body was expected to make weekly reports of affairs in their quarters to the chief captain of the body. From this overlordship of the bachelors there had gradually risen a system of fagging, such as is or was practiced in the great English public schools, enforced services exacted from the younger lads, which at the time Miles came to Devlin had, in the five or six years it had been in practice, grown to be an absolute, though unwritten, law of the body, a law supported by all the prestige of long-continued usage. At that time the bachelors numbered but thirteen, yet they exercised over the rest of the sixty-four squires and pages a rule of iron, and were taskmasters, hard, exacting, and oftentimes cruel. 
the whole company of squires and pages was under the supreme command of a certain one-eyed knight by name sir james lee a soldier seasoned by the fire of a dozen battles bearing a score of wounds won in fight and tourney and withered by hardship and labor to a leather-like toughness he had fought upon the king's side in all the late wars, and had at Shrewsbury received a wound that unfitted him for active service, so that now he was fallen to the post of captain of esquires at Devlin Castle, a man disappointed in life, and with a temper embittered by that failure as well as by cankering pain. Yet perhaps no one could have been better fitted for the place he held than Sir James Lee. The lads under his charge were a rude, rough, unruly set quick like their elders to quarrel and to quarrel fiercely even to the drawing of a sword or dagger but there was a cold iron sternness about the grim old man that quelled them as the trainer with a lash of steel might quell a den of young wolves the apartments in which he was lodged with his clerk were next in the dormitory of the lads and even in the midst of the most excited brawlings the distant sound of his harsh voice silence messieurs would bring an instant hush to the loudest uproar it was into his grim presence that miles was introduced by gascon sir james was in his office a room bare of ornament or adornment or superfluous comfort of any sort without even so much as a mat of rushes upon the cold stone pavement to make it less cheerless the old one-eyed knight sat gnawing his bristling mustaches to any one who knew him it would have been apparent that as the castle phrase went the devil sat astride of his neck, which meant that some one of his blind wounds was aching more sorely than usual. His clerk sat beside him with account books and parchment spread upon the table, and the head squire, Walter Blunt, a lad some three or four years older than Miles, and half a head taller, black-browed, powerfully built, and with cheek and chin darkened by the soft budding of his adolescent beard, stood making his report. Sir James listened in grim silence while Gascon told his errand. "'So then, pardy, I am bid to take another one of ye, am I?' he snarled. "'As though ye cause me not trouble thee now, and this one a cub, looking a very boor in carriage and breeding. Mayhap the earl thinketh I am to train boys to his dilly-dally household service as well as to use of arms.' "'Sir,' said Gascon, timidly, my lord saith he would have this one enter direct as a squire of the body so that he need not serve in the household sayest so cried sir james harshly then take thou my message back again to thy lord not for mackworth no nor a better man than he will i make any changes in my government and i be set to rule a pack of boys i will rule them as i list and not according to any man's bidding tell him sirrah that i will enter no lad as squire of the body without first testing and he be fit at arms to hold that place he sat for a while glowering at miles and gnawing his mustaches and for the time no one dared to break the grim silence what is thy name said he suddenly and then almost before miles could answer he asked the head squire whether he could find a place to lodge him there is gillis whitlock's cot empty said blunt 
He is in the infirmary, and belike goeth home again when he cometh thence. The fever hath gotten into his bones. That will do, said the knight, interrupting him impatiently. Let him take that place, or any other that thou hast. And thou, Jerome, said he to his clerk, thou mayest enter him upon the roll, though whether it be as page or squire or bachelor shall be as I please, and not as Mackworth biddeth me. Now get ye gone. Old Bruin's wound smarteth him sore, Gascon observed, as the two lads walked across the armory court. He had good-naturedly offered to show the newcomer the many sights of interest around the castle, and in the hour or so of ramble that followed, the two grew from acquaintances to friends with a quickness that boyhood alone can bring about. They visited the armory, the chapel, the stables, the great hall, the painted chamber, the guard-house, the mess-room, and even the scullery and the kitchen, with its great range of boilers and furnaces and ovens last of all miles new friend introduced him to the armor smithy my lord hath sent a piece of milan armor thither to be repaired said he belike thou would like to see it ay said miles eagerly that would i the smith was a gruff good-natured fellow and showed the piece of armor to miles readily and willingly enough it was a beautiful bassinet of inlaid workmanship and was edged with a rim of gold miles scarcely dared touch it he gazed at it with an unconcealed delight that warmed the smith's honest heart i have another piece of milan here said he did i ever show thee my dagger master gascon nay said the squire the smith unlocked a great oaken chest in the corner of the shop lifted the lid and brought thence a beautiful dagger with the handle of ebony and silver gilt and a sheath of spanish leather embossed in gilt the keen well-tempered blade was beautifully engraved and inlaid with niello work representing a group of figures in a then popular subject the dance of death it was a weapon at once unique and beautiful and even gascon showed an admiration scarcely less keen than miles openly expressed delight to whom doth it belong said he trying the point upon his thumb-nail there said the smith is the jest of the whole for it belongeth to me sir william beauclerk bade me order the weapon through master gildersworthy of london town and by the time it came hither lo he had died and so it fell to my hands no one here payeth the price for the trinket and so i must e'en keep it myself though i be but a poor man how much dost thou hold it for said gascon seventeen shillings buyeth it said the armourer carelessly ay ay said gascon with a sigh so it is to be poor and not be able to have such things as one loveth and would fain possess seventeen shillings is nigh as much by half again as all my yearly wage then a sudden thought came to miles and as it came his cheeks glowed as hot as fire master gascon said he with gruff awkwardness thou hast been a very good true friend to me since i have come to this place and hast befriended me in all ways thou mightst do and i as well i know but a poor rustic clod now i have forty shillings by me which i may spend as i list and so i do beseech thee that thou wilt take yon dagger of me as a love-gift and have and hold it for thy very own gascon stared open-mouthed at miles dost mean it said he at last ay said miles i do mean it master smith 
give him the blade at first the smith grinned thinking it all a jest but he soon saw that miles was serious enough and when the seventeen shillings were produced and counted down upon the anvil he took off his cap and made miles a low bow as he swept them into his pouch now by my faith and troth quoth he that i do call a true lordly gift is it not so master gascoigne ay said gascoigne with a gulp it is in soothly earnest and thereupon to miles great wonderment he suddenly flung his arms about his neck and giving him a great hug kissed him upon the cheek dear miles said he i tell thee truly and of a verity i did feel warm towards thee from the very first time i saw thee sitting like a poor oaf upon the bench up yonder in the anteroom and now of a sooth i give thee assurance that i do love thee as my own brother yea i will take the dagger and i will stand by thee as a true friend from this time forth mayhap thou mayst need a true friend in this place ere thou livest long with us for some of us esquires be soothly rough and knocks are more plenty here than broad pennies so that one new come is like to have a hard time gaining a footing i thank thee said miles for thy offer of love and friendship and do tell thee upon my part that i also of all the world would like best to have thee for my friend such was the manner in which miles formed the first great friendship of his life a friendship that was destined to last him through many years to come as the two walked back across the great quadrangle upon which fronted the main buildings of the castle their arms were wound across one another's shoulders after the manner as a certain great writer says of boys and lovers End of chapter five